Australia. Welcome to the new Stand Up Australia podcast, Stand Up Sits Down With. Contrarian conversation, rebutting the mainstream narrative. Each week we discuss and deconstruct the most relevant news stories in Australia and around the world that you may have missed during the past week and separate the BS and propaganda so you can make better decisions about which way you want to go politically and personally. Today on the show, banking crisis continues as more talk of global CBDCs gather momentum. China and Russia join forces to create a mega power. Is this the beginning of the end for the US hegemony? The woke liberals sack one of their own as Nazis storm the streets of Melbourne. Criminalising religious freedom in Victoria. And a last story of the day is pilots collapsing at an alarming rate. How long till disaster strikes in our skies? So today, once again, we're joined by our co-host Robin Shooter health practitioner and shit-hot journalist who writes at the very popular Substack, Empowered Health, at robinshooter.substack.com. How you going, Robin? I'm well. I'm well. I never intended to be a journalist. I'm an accidental journalist. <laughs> You're the type of people that should be journalists, the ones that don't want to be. But <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. Yes. Kind of like politicians. My, my- <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Ne- never trust someone who actually wants to wants to wield power. They're they're the the person you least want wielding yeah. it. <laughs> you just got something to say, and you have to say it, right? Mm-hmm. You bet. Anything going on at the moment we should know about? Oh, yeah, the days go on, don't they? The days go on, and the news just gets crazier every day. <laughs> I've actually got one of your stories in the uh, in the show notes here. We can have a chat about later on. So that'll, oh, be, uh, that, that'll be nice. That will be fun. That will yep. be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, should we get stuck into the stories this week? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So the first story I have here is from The Age. Now, bear with me while I bring this up. They're the cornerstones of our economy, but sometimes banks collapse. Why? So this is a story from The Age. Um basically talking to the readers like their two-year-olds um, to explain why the financial system is the way it is. JP Morgan Chase, Dame, Jamie Diamond, who's the executive of that, uh, that organization, says such shocks were actually not that rare. Not to be funny about it, but my daughter asked me when she came home from school, what's the financial crisis? I said, well, it's something that happens every five to seven years. Diamond told Congressional Inquiry in 2010. We shouldn't be surprised but we need to do a better job. Okay, at the time, the remark from one of America's top bankers raised eyebrows with commentators saying it was flippant. But after the turmoil and global banking over the past few weeks, some finance veterans have a sense of deja vu. So what started as a crisis in a medium-sized bank in California in early March rocked the wider US banking system and sent shockwaves around the world. Soon after, a crisis in confidence claimed Swiss giant Credit Suisse with UBS agreeing to buy its rival in a deal arranged hastily by regulators. So this this story is obviously going to be in our show notes again, um, but it's it's talking about to the layman why this crisis is happening at the moment. Basically putting it off as, oh, it's just something that happens every five to seven years. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you wanted to talk about the banking situation i've got a few more stories here but i'll just get your opinion on what's going on right now in in your layman's terms yeah okay what's going on with the banks so this is not my area of expertise okay and i freely admit that but i read pretty widely on the subject and so there's 
I guess what the, the problem that we face here is that we have this system of fractional reserve banking where banks don't actually have you know when, when you when you go and borrow money from the bank it's not like they actually have that money right they literally create it out of thin air so you take out a loan from the bank and they just magically create it they just speak that money into existence almost and then of course what happens is if, if banks do get shaky um, or, or or even rumors spread that a bank is shaky and depositors think hey you know my money isn't safe in there they then go to the bank and say could I please take out my deposits and it doesn't take long for that to turn into a bank run and for a bank to become illiquid now this the, the whole issue of bank failures, of course, is in the news because of the failure of uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, and then Signature Bank in the US. And the whole the whole failure of Silicon Valley Bank uh, is a really uh, multifaceted story. I find it particularly interesting that that Peter Thiel, who uh, is is the brains, um, evil genius perhaps, behind uh, Palantir, this sort of massive government surveillance uh, operation. Mm -hmm. um, Palantir, by the way, th there's a great article by by Whitney Webb, um, perhaps we can add that to the to the show notes, on Palantir and the role that it played in the COVID um, jibby-jabby rollout. But anyway, so, so Peter Thiel heads up Palantir and of course, it was Teal that provoked the run on Silicon Valley Bank, which led to its ruination. So, okay, um, I guess the, the the question that I don't know the answer to yet uh, in relation to these bank failures is is kind of like, did they fall or were they pushed? <laughs> um, yeah, are these are these just natural failures? Um, are they deliberately being pushed? to you know push into insolvency so that their assets can be gobbled up by larger banks um or in other words is this deliberate or does it just happen and then people who are running particular agendas take advantage of it and then the taking advantage of it leads on to a discussion of how these bank failures kind of um uh, pave the way for a central bank digital currency in the sense that if if people keep on getting spooked by these bank failures and then they they come to uh, they, they they come to believe perhaps with some justification that their money isn't safe in the bank and then the government says oh well we can solve that problem um, have a central bank digital currency instead and then you never have to worry about your money going bye byes because you know because we're the government and and your account is with us not with these private banking institutions. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, we'd spoke a bit about this last week, about the CBDCs um, coming in on the back of this. And one thing that's changed in my mind over the last week is it's actually after listening to a few a few different podcasts, one this morning with a, a guy called Tom Luongo. Mm. It was, it's a very complex podcast, but I'll try to put it in the show notes if I remember. Um, and he talks about the fact that are they re is it the big banks that are actually trying to do this because he said they don't the big banks don't want this these small banks they don't want their they don't want this business they yes, want I, I did I did listen to that and, yeah. and that's what he said the likes of JP Morgan um JP Morgan Chase they they don't want the business of you know the small proprietor or or even the sort of you know medium-sized enterprise they they only want to provide banking services for the for the big boys for the you know the global players so that's kind of interesting and then 
uh, Luongo's other point is that there is this schism, like there are power machinations between the big global players, um, specifically the Fed under Jerome Powell versus uh, the European Central Bank under, under Christine Lagarde. Yeah, it's funny you say Christine Lagarde because I just listened to a. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard it. There was a, a prank call that was made to her by the two Russian um, pranksters. I've not heard that, but they do very fine work. Yeah. Fine work, lads. <laughs> <laughs> so they. This is the the best one I've heard because it, it was. Um, they pretended to be uh, Vladimir Zelensky, and they started talking about the digital currency. So she mm. let she let slip that. There will be a digital currency and it'll be decision will be made in October of 2023. I think she said the 23rd of October. But one thing that she said, and this sort of brings back Peter Thiel into the mix, is that Peter Thiel is a entrepreneur. He's the one of the starters, one of the one of the founders of PayPal. Mm. Um, and you know, ex ex-colleagues of Elon Musk. Elon Musk is um, sorry, I should, I should actually explain the story first before I get into that. So one thing that Christine Lagarde was saying is that she doesn't want private companies creating currencies that can be used globally because then that's that puts yeah, yeah, so that puts the power that puts the power into the hands of corporations, mm. which to be honest, I prefer that than to be in the, ha- the hands of government because I don't do not trust government at all. At least, at least with corporations, you can vote with your dollars and they listen. Mm. So, for me, after hearing her talk, and she is the the head financial person in Europe, and she is you know, intimately tied in with Jerome Powell and and the U.S. banking system, and so for me, after after hearing this. I think this is an engineered crisis to put the power in either either Peter either it's Peter Thiel to put the, the power into the hands of the corporations. Elon Musk has come out recently and said that Twitter is going to be some sort of payment system. It's mm. going to be a sort of everything system, which when you think about it, that would be enormously powerful. He's yeah. He's talked about the reason for buying Twitter as being essentially he wants to turn Twitter into the Chinese. I can't remember the name of it, but it's basically the Chinese everything app. Yeah, yeah. And look, there, there's pluses and minuses to that. I think we oh yeah we talked last week about whether you can trust Elon Musk or not, and it's mm. hard not to like what he's been doing. But there are lots of conspiracy theories about him as well. Whether he's some sort of like antichrist that's coming and and <laughs> is saying all the right things just to get us on into the onto mm. his side. But right now, I believe what's happening is the government has their CBDCs and the the corporations have their sort of everything apps. Mm. And there's a little battle going on between the governments and the corporations because mm. they both know the financial system is about to crumble and it's failing and there needs to be something to take the place. Whether that's going to be CBDCs or the everything apps, that's to be determined. But that's just my take on things. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I mean, you know, Ron Paul has been saying for years um, the debt has to be liquidated. It's it's just a matter of time. And so, what you know, what happens in the aftermath of that liquidation in in debt? That 
that is that is really the the subject of this you know clash of the titans as as, as tom longo was was describing it you know it is it's it's mm. um we because we in the conspiracy realist space can fall into the trap of assuming that there's some monolithic block of you know them the would-be overlords versus us and there's actually not i mean which stands to reason of course if you've got a bunch of power crazed people <laughs> it, it's not like they're all going to be singing kumbaya among each other like they want they want to be at the top of the heap that's the nature of power crazed people and so of course there are going to be you know machinations and and alliances and backstabbings and so forth um they they're, they're not monolithic and there is a there is a, a you know a dust up presently for who's going to be really at the top of the pile yeah definitely definitely and that's that is the question who is going to be at the top of the pile mm. so there's a little story here just to back this up about the Federal Reserve. So it announces, so this is from, should say who this is from first. It's from Becker News. Um, I don't think I've ever actually read Becker News before, but the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States has announced that it's launching an instant payment transfer called FedNow Service, which has features of a central bank digital currency. And some analysis believe it's the first big step towards a digital dollar. On Wednesday, within hours of our reporting that Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank failures could spur renewed calls for the U.S. to implement CBDCs, the Federal Reserve announced that the U.S. is rolling out the FedNow instant payment system uh, transfer service in July. So that's pretty quick. I know they've been had this on the on the back burner for a while. Mm. They've been testing it out. Um, this this doesn't really prove who's behind this. You know, as you were saying, the the engineered crisis, as I was saying as well, but it could be, this seems to be the federal's, Federal Reserve and government. Well, Federal Reserve isn't really the government, but... No, um, it's it, not. It's a private corporation, yeah, which it's, is mind-boggling, yeah. It's a private corporation which works hand-in-hand hand with the government. Mm. Um, this could be their answer to this crisis after the, the first hits come from the, the, mm. the, you know, the corporations, or it could just be the engineered crisis the problem reaction solution mm, indeed so, yeah. indeed well you know again i'm not a um, i'm not an expert on these issues and i'm certainly not here to give uh, financial planning advice but i'll tell you what i've been doing buying silver <laughs> we we're already quite heavily invested in gold and that just keeps going up but silver silver is still quite affordable so that's what i'm doing <laughs> yes yes i believe uh gold just hit two thousand dollars today mm. so mm-hmm. Uh, that's two thousand American dollars. Yes. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, let's go down to our next story. Um, I think this is pretty tied into the last story, actually, which is why I followed up with it. Is China and Russia war with China? Mm. So, China sable rattling. If China's foreign minister tells us war is inevitable, we should listen. Now, this is an article you have sent me, so I haven't actually read it yet, but I'm going to just read the first little bit here. So who who said this week that on current trends, war between the US and China was inevitable? Was it the Red Alert series that ran in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age? No. The five national security experts in the series said Australia should sustain peace through deterrence. Nor was it the US president, the Australian prime minister, or even Peter Dutton. It was China's new foreign minister of foreign, sorry, minister of foreign affairs, Gwyn Gang. Don't ask me for Chinese pronunciation. <laughs> Apologies to our Chinese-speaking listeners. Um, yeah, Q I N Quinn Chin. I don't Chin? know. I don't Could know. be Chin. Sure. 
Specifically, he holds his first press conference if the US does not hike the hit the brakes, sorry, and continues to speed down the wrong path. No amounts of of guard trails can prevent derailment, which will surely become conflict and confrontation. And who will bear the catastrophic consequences? Hmm. So, it unfortunately to me, it does really seem like we are heading for some sort of confrontation military commentation with russia and china mm. um, or the us's which means we will be part of it just as being the us's lackeys and especially after last week us with the atrocious AUKUS deal 386 billion dollars on nuclear submarines oh yes we can we can buy nuclear subs from the us but we can't even consider having uh, modular nuclear reactors built on our shores we can <laughs> we can pull the uranium out of the ground we can send it to other people we can also accept nuclear waste for, for reprocessing and we can have a nuclear reactor at lucas heights but the the one thing that we can't do is to build modular nuclear reactors despite the fact that they are a very you know low carbon emissions way of generating um, electricity so there you have it <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, all the greenies want low carbon, but they're not they're not really willing to go down the nuclear path, are they? Mm, indeed. How interesting. So yes. yeah, it, it feels to me like we we are just being pushed into a confrontation with with China, which uh, is is of no benefit to us whatsoever. I mean, look, I I I'm not saying here that China is some beneficent force in the world. I think they have their, their aspirations to power. Um, most large countries do. But is it of any benefit for us to to have this saber-rattling going on? You know, I don't think so. And all of these war games that the U.S. conducts, uh, you know, sailing through the, you know, through the Straits of Taiwan on a regular basis um, with their, you know, with their military fleet, I, I, I talk about waving a red flag. It's just, it's just insane. Oh, I know. It's, it's absolutely crazy, isn't it? You, can you think about what would happen if China was sailing, sailing a warship right next yeah. to California. Let's, or... Yeah, let, let, let's sell one past, past the military base in San Diego and see whether the US go, we're offended. It would be <laughs> nuts. Yeah, you had the you had the downing of the drone in the last week as well, which was an act of aggression, even though it was flying in Russian airspace, essentially. Well, yes. I mean, they said it wasn't. They said it was in, in international airspace, but but my goodness, like uh, you're you're flying it just outside of Russian airspace, as if that's not an act of provocation. I mean, please, um, the the Yanks can shoot down a Chinese weather balloon. Was it? Was it? Like, who the hell knows? <laughs> they can fire yeah. it. What, what, what was the value of that missile that they shot at the uh, the $12 um, um, uh, balloon? That yeah, the, was, side, the Sidewinder. Had... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which they was... missed. They actually missed the first time. <laughs> so it just shows you the uh, the uh, capabilities of the, the US Air Force at the moment as well. Whoa. Too many woke <laughs> pilots. <laughs> a, a, balloon, a balloon that's barely moving and you miss it. <laughs> When you, you literally could have gone up with a with a, a needle and yeah, topped the just balloon. Yeah, the thing. Yes, yes. Oh, oh no. but let's spend no, let's yep. spend a million dollars. I think it was or ten million dollars on a on one single sidewinder missile yeah. just to take down yeah. these balloons. Just shoot down a balloon, insane. So so yeah, that that's perfectly justifiable. But um, the Russians can't shoot down a you know a military drone that was very clearly conducting surveillance operations. <laughs> I mean, you know what 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 do people think it was doing? Like take taking photos for Google Maps, please. It was. 
was it was a military exercise. Definitely, it's it's this sort of screams to me of Gulf of Tonkin. All this stuff. Yes. I mean, this is yes. we're almost there. I think all it is, it's just going to take one sort of passenger liner, or which we almost had with MH three eighty, which is was it three eighty? No, it wasn't three eighty. That was the Malaysian airliner, wasn't it? Mm. The other, the other, but it was still a Malaysian airliner that got shot down over over mm. Ukraine in two thousand. Over Ukraine, yes, indeed. You know yeah. that had that had the potential, but I think right now, if something something like that happened, we would mm. be at war, and we're not far off from that happening. Oh, there's this just continual provocations. I mean, again, I'm I'm not I'm not in that camp that says that you know Vladimir Putin is the savior of of you know all that's right and good in in humanity. I don't agree with that take at all. I no, mean, the man's no. a dictator. He's as corrupt as all heck. Um, he he certainly does have his political rivals bumped off. Not not that not that that isn't done in the West either. It's just done through different means, as Putin himself has pointed out. You know. <laughs> Yeah. In in the West, people just have car accidents, or <laughs> or are found hanging from trees um, with a shotgun blast to the chest. You know that sort of uh, yeah. uh, suicidal um, behaviour. Or, th- yeah. or three shots to the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I shouldn't laugh. I mean, hands tied behind their back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why am I laughing? It's just um, it's completely nuts. Anyway, so I'm not saying Vladimir Putin is a good guy, but Jeepers, he's been pretty damn restrained, hasn't he? I mean, they blow oh, up the, yeah. the Nord Stream pipeline. They, you know, blow up the the bridge to Crimea. They they they're sending drones um, right on the border of Russian uh, airspace. And he ha- he has not. I mean, he's he's made threats. He said, "Here's our red line. If you cross it, we 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 do reserve the right to resort to nukes." And so far, he hasn't done it. So, what's the game? Like, are they deliberately trying to provoke him? Or is is there a meta level to this, where yeah. where this is a, a phony war? I mean, clearly people are being killed. I'm not saying it's a phony war in that sense, but is it a phony war in that this is uh, this is just the distraction for, yeah. for the masses, for you and me to to lie awake at night wondering if if they're going to drop the bomb tomorrow when in fact there's no real plans to use nuclear weapons at all. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. These are all scenarios that run through my head. Yeah, I think I think the use of nuclear weapons is one of those things that's only going to happen, at, you know, if, if it's absolutely necessary to happen, uh, especially on Russia's side. I don't think they'll use them unless they absolutely have to. Mm. Um, the US, I'm not so sure about. Um, but yeah, the US, I don't think anyone's sure about because uh, look, there there are people in the US military. Um, for whom the whole Doctor Strange love scenario is not a movie, mm. right? It's it's a reality. They you know they genuinely believe that they can retreat to their underground tunnels, and wait out the you know the the consequences of nuclear fallout, and then emerge perhaps decades later and take over the world. <laughs> it's- yeah, it's it's absolute madness. And um, look, this year this this week. Um, the two superpowers have just gotten in, in touch with each other. So we have China and and Russia now as allies, which is not great for the US or Australia. No, it's but not been- great. And their own foreign, the US's own foreign policy has uh, has summoned this into being. I, I don't think that you can really look at this in any other way, but that the US foreign policy has actually engineered their biggest fear Again, I mean, is this incompetence or is this 
all part of their plan. And I, by their plan, I don't mean, you know, the dementia patient currently residing in the White House because I don't, <laughs> I don't know how long it is since he actually made a plan in yeah. any conscious sense of it. I don't mean them. I mean, you know, they're, they're the puppets. So whoever's holding the puppet strings, is this part of the plan? Again, I, I don't know because no one ever invited me to their conclaves. I haven't been to the smoky room. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, the, fir- the first thing that um, this new alliance did was G has, has tried to broker a peace deal between Russia and Ukraine, which, which uh, Russia's been all for, but uh, Anthony Blinken has come out, and also also this um, military uh, spokesperson, I forget what his name is at the moment, in the states has sort of come out and said, "No, we yes. can't do this because it will just mean Russia is one." And blah blah blah. So they really are going for it right now. Um, yeah, and and of course this this is not the first time Turkey tried to broker a peace deal, yep. um, which was sabotaged by by Bojo, uh, previous Israeli Prime Minister, the one before Netanyahu, um, Naftali been, Bennett. Yeah, Naftali Bennett. He tried to broker a peace deal. You know, uh, every every time this happens, it gets shut down by whom? By the US. Yeah. Why? Well, yep. Yeah, you got to ask yourself why. Um, look, I mean, I spoke about this last week anyway, but um, I think that this is because you know you are you are seeing the death of the West. Mm. This is the last. This is the 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 toddler throwing his toys from the cot right now. Mm. Just a mm. last sort of grasp at at the world power. They've lost yes. it. They've let, they're starting yes. to lose their hold over the dollar. The the Chinese and the Russians are now going to start to trade with each other in the in the yuan. Yes. As well as half the other world, probably fifty percent of the world now will start trading in their own currencies, or the Chinese yuan, or or the or the Russian ruble. And so, there's Chinese brokering a peace deal before between Iran and 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 Saudi Arabia. So again, yep. I mean, uh, the Chinese yeah. are stepping into the breach. So that was very interesting, US, wasn't it? Yeah. What has the US done in the Middle East for for decades? It stirred up conflict. It's it's uh, set rival against rival, and then the Chinese come in and say, "Hey, we'll be a peacemakers." Definitely. So, yeah, they, there, they there play is, the long game. Yeah, there is there is a definite shift in the balance of power, and the the US uh, has. I mean, I would say they have already lost their their hegemonic status as a as a military power, and uh, their rap. I mean, yeah, they're losing their status as as a world monetary power because the petro petrodollar is no more, and their the status of the US dollar as, as the world's reserve currency is being eroded. Yeah. And I think if they lose that, they're going to lose their power because mm-hmm. at the moment the only reason they can they have power is because they control the money supply, essentially. That's it. That's yeah. it. And as soon all, as they lose wars, their power. All wars are bankers' wars. And if your bank doesn't have the money to fund the war, well, you don't have the military power anymore. So again, buy silver and um, and also also I would say you know survival strategy is um, is to uh, look into already established um, uh, energy exchange systems in your area. So in other words, uh, methods of exchanging goods and services with other people that aren't reliant on on money. There are already such exchanges set up within Australia. Um, and uh, if, if one doesn't exist in your area, you can you can set one up under the auspices of the. Let me give you the name of it. Um, what is the? I might have to send you the link later on because the name of the uh, national organisation 
um, under which all of these various uh, um, exchange systems are organised has just left my memory. So I'll shoot it to you later on. We can. This is not Covision. No, 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 no. Um, no, it's specifically a um, like a centralised system for exchanging goods and services um, without using money, without okay. using cash. So a barter system. Um, yes, but, but not bartering as in, I don't have to trade exclusively with you. I can, you know, I can receive a service from you, but I don't have to give you something in exchange. Um, instead I can give someone else something in exchange and then they can do something for you. Right. In other okay. words, it's yep. a, but, but there's a central method of keeping track of all these transactions. Oh, but fantastic. It's, yeah, yeah. It's outside the, um, the government's watchful eyes. So, so I haven't I haven't listened to Peter and Serene's uh, chat from last night on the webinar. But, no, um, I haven't either. I haven't caught it, unfortunately. Yeah. No, ho hoping to listen to that shortly. But we will be having a roundtable uh, on the thirtieth. People who can join into that will be talking a lot about the this this local economy and how we can how we can support each other. So yeah. keep keep an eye out for that. Anybody who's listening to the podcast. So just just to finish this this talk off. Um, eh, just hammering at home how how sort of serious this is at the moment. So this story is from The Guardian. It says, Putin says Russia will respond if UK supplies depleted uranium shells to Ukraine. Mm. So Vladimir Putin has sought to exploit a British statement that, that it would supply Ukraine with tank shells made with depleted uranium, arguing that the delivery of the armor-piercing weapons would prompt a Russian response. So this is a really stupid stupid idea and i'm surprised that this is not a war crime just to in, to begin with depleted uranium well seriously mm. you want to you not only want to sort of like hurt your enemy but but poison the the ground and mm. everything around it for the next thousand years however long it takes for for that sort of poison to to leave the the area yeah. but if this happens i don't see any way putin can't strike back mm. Yes, indeed. And and again, what are we looking at here? Are we looking at incompetence and stupidity or is this malice? Is there intentionality behind this to provoke Putin into using nuclear weapons? Um, and and if if there is malice, you know, if there is an intentional act of provocation, then this is a declaration of war, not just on the Russian people. This is this is a declaration of war on the entire human race. Yes. Because if Putin uses nuclear weapons, the Western powers will will retaliate. Okay, and then it's and then it's on for young and old, or actually it's off for young and old. It's it's that's it. You know, end of end of life on this planet as we know it. There'll be survivors, of course, but eh, what would be the point? You wonder. <laughs> yeah, the one the ones with the. Uh... The fallout the shelters. The, the underground bunkers, exactly. The ones that are going to afford them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we've done that story, so we'll go on to the next one. Um, so we're talking about What else the... have we got to, to cheer the listeners up with? <laughs> <laughs> so there was a protest in Melbourne um, in the weekend or Friday last week. I can't remember when it was exactly, but we have a bunch of... Um, people out to protest for trans rights. Mm. At the same time, we have um, a, a Liberal Party um, MP who was out champ. I'm just going to try and pull up the story, sorry. 
was uh, Moira Deeming, I believe. Here it is. So this story is from The Age. It says, Deeming vows to fight unjust move to expel her from the Liberal Party. So Liberal MP Moira Deeming has vowed to fight opposition leader John Pesuto's push to expel her from the parliamentary party and welcome the government's commitment to ban the Nazi salute. Really hitting the hard sort of uh, topics at the moment, aren't they, This uh, the Liberal Party? So addressing the saga that could lead to her expulsion from the Liberal Party room, the Upper House MP condemned the neo-Nazis who crashed the Let Women Speak rally organised by British anti-trans right campaigner Kelly J. Keane Minchel. I condemn the actions of the masked men in black who were later identified as neo-Nazis who gate-crashed the Let Women Speak event, Deeming said in a statement. So this just goes to show me how far politics has fallen. It's just mm. this big woke competition now. You've got someone here, Moira Deeming, who has, who's unlike most politicians, has the balls to go out and actually say something she believes in. The, the balls to say that a woman, in fact, does not have balls. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I saw a, I saw a great cartoon today. Someone, a friend of mine, posted it was two women showering and then a, um, a hairy backside of a man walking in saying, "I'm a woman, get over it." So. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, I mean, this is this is just this is insane. Um, uh, it, it really is. So, so Posey Parker uh, comes out now. I also the the idea that Posey Parker is an anti-trans rights mm. campaigner. I mean, what what a bit of journalistic doublespeak that is. No, actually, she's not. Uh, she's a woman's rights campaigner, as in a woman who says women should have woman-only spaces, like women should be able to go to a locker room and, and you know, be able to take their clothes off and have a shower or get changed into their gym gear or whatever, and not have someone with, you know, a penis saunter by them. Um, and also women and girls should be allowed to compete in sports and, and not have this unfair competitor, someone who had the advantages of testosterone, you know, right through puberty and is therefore taller, larger, stronger um, than, than them competing in their sports. That's not anti-trans rights. That's women's and girls' rights. And yet, the journalists try to spin this as, oh, she's campaigning against trans rights. Yeah, she's not. So, so it's insane. So, so she comes out and she speaks at this at this rally, um, saying, "Hey, you know, we're women. We're we're actually born women. We're biological women. And these people who aren't women are are actually intruding on our spaces, and we want them." To stay out because you know we and our mothers and our mothers before them have fought for this and yada yada um and then a bunch of neo-nazis turn up uninvited and then moira deeming is going to be thrown out of the liberal party because she attended a process a protest that was gate crashed by neo-nazis who the police did not get rid of yeah it's interesting i actually watched i watched an interview with thomas sewell with uh blair cottrell um just the other day i find them pretty pretty fascinating individuals really um but they were they were talking about the fact that when they were there the police were getting very chummy with them and saying oh hey mate like yeah trying to shake their hands and they're like you know was this a setup you know um yes, indeed. Let it, are they neo-nazis and... are they you know maybe, well they're not maybe... neo-nazis they're, they're just nazis maybe <laughs> so... maybe check their boots and see if they're you know, police <laughs> or military issue <laughs> I, th I think I think um, this Nazi uh, sort of force that has has 
I see quite a lot of it now, especially after the pandemic. There's a, a lot of a lot of this talk going on. It's mm. a direct um, consequence of this work bullshit. Mm. It's it's mm. gone so far one way that you then get that opposite reaction. reaction. You know, it's 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 science, isn't it? Every action has a an opposite uh, an equal reaction. This is what's happening, um, yeah. and unfortunately, I think it's going to win over quite a few people. I, I do see this like as a growing movement, and you, we are getting to the point where desperate times are calling for desperate measures. I'm not condoning the mm. the Nazi, um, uh, you know, um, ideology. ideology at all, mm. but I think you're going to be seeing more of this because of this ridiculous bullshit. There's no mm. this; these politicians are no longer, apart from this this lady Moira. Um, they're no longer talking about things that actually matter. It's just all just, just a distraction. It's, it's shit like and this. Where, where, where is the middle, right? Most people don't have extreme political views, right? But and and so so they voted for parties which to them represented more or less the middle ground. But the middle has moved. It just keeps moving further and further to to the left and to to the political left and. Um, um, and, and so in the absence of a, of a really potent middle force that says, look, you know, we, uh, we're, we, we neither promote fascism nor socialism or, or communism. We're, you know, the old-fashioned centre party. In the absence of that, people are looking for extremes now. And, yeah, they're going to go for extreme right. Some of them, a small proportion of them, I, I believe, are, are going to be seduced by the ideology of a far-right group. Yeah, it's a it's a real threat now. So as as to how much of this is um, manufactured, how many of these Nazis, are genuine Nazis, and and how much of this is 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 just theatre? You know, um, I I have no idea. I, it is noteworthy that these groups are gate crashing um, uh, similar protests all over the place. Um, for example, one of the fifteen minute city protests in the UK. I uh, I don't recall what city it was. It may have been Oxford. I think that it was Oxford, and that that was crashed by um, people posing as or saying that they were anti Uh Who knows, right? So. So what? Antifa supports um, having citizens locked down and not not able to to leave their their, their little zone of the city. What? Yeah. <laughs> or they, they they just turn up to any part any any protest that they see as being right wing, whatever the heck that means. I, it's it's um it's clown world. It really it, is. Clown world. It is clown world, and it's just whatever the whatever the powers are doing, it's working because they are managing to box us into these two. Mm. really tiny spaces left and right yep. you're, like, you're yep. either left or you're right i've had conversations yeah. with people where they say oh, are you progressive or are you um you know are you more sort of like right wing and i'm like well, i'm neither like neither well, and they just look neither. at you like i'm you know, i'm for i'm i'm for liberty yeah. I'm for freedom and not slavery some so, people say to me yeah. oh you're, you're very progressive and i'm like am i and so then some people say you're quite right wing yeah like, okay <laughs> cool. I, I, I'm, I'm neither i just think I'm just against stupidity and, mm, yeah. you know, like you said, freedom. Um, yeah, I think, I'm, I'm I think... against stupidity and I'm also against predation. Explain. That's what we're really looking at. Okay, we're looking at a predator class. So yeah. we're looking at, at, at predatory individuals and predatory organisations that don't produce. They, they, they prey on other people's production. 
Okay. Yeah. So uh, really you you can say all of government is a predatory organization because government produces nothing. What it does is it, it preys on the production of the people that it purports to govern. All right. Yeah. Um, and now now we're seeing the the extension of that ideology. So it's not just individual governments preying on their their own citizens' production. It's this whole uh, great reset world government preying on the production of the entire human race and consolidating power into fewer and fewer hands. Yeah, and look, the I think um, you're wrong when you say that the government doesn't produce anything because they produce chaos. On a massive okay. scale. All right, all right. I'll grant you that. They do produce chaos. And yeah. I mean it, it reminds me of that, of that cartoon which has been very widely circulated. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, so there's there's a there's the king and his advisor up on top of the the castle, you know, looking over the battlements at, at this huge crowd of people, right? And some of the people are, are, are hoisting pitchforks and others of the people are hoisting torches. And the, the king's advisor says to, oh, this is the caption, right? Um, the king's advisor says to the king, oh, you don't, you don't need to fight them. You just have to get the pitchfork people to fight the torch people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. The Pitchfork people are being provoked into fighting the torch people rather than both of them saying, it's him, it's him. <laughs> you know, storm yeah. the castle with your pitchforks and your torches. <laughs> yeah, we're so we're so focused on fighting each other that we can't really see what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And there's so much crap going on, you know. And look, yeah. and the the real sort of um distraction of all this as well is not the fact that these this ridiculous stuff is going on in our world, but what they've done now is Victoria and the rest of Australia now is trying to ban the Nazi salute or the Roman salute, as it's officially called. Yeah, I'll tell so, you what, Prince Harry's going to be in trouble. He won't be able to turn up at those fancy dress parties dressed as a Nazi anymore, will he? <laughs> oh, he's he's just, just going. Prince Harry was just going as his, uh, his grandfather, I think, wasn't he? <laughs> I think he was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so heading on from that, we head on to our, I think it's our, our third story now, um, fourth story. But by the way, sorry, sorry, before you go on to that, I mean, I can remember in, in primary school just doing the mock Sig Heil, right, you know, doing yeah. the old, like one finger making the mo and the other doing the Nazi salute. And you just, you know, like you do it as a... Um, um, as a as a stand up, you might even do it behind a teacher's back if they were, you know, yeah. doing a little petty power thing like teachers do. So, so what? A kid's going to be um, locked up for for doing a mock sig hall? Well, you got to be you got to be really careful when you're hailing a taxi now, don't you? <laughs> you do indeed. You might get put in jail. What are you doing, mate? <laughs> <laughs> that episode of Father Ted, where 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 Ted's, you know, looking out through the. Did you ever watch Father Ted? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh my goodness! You know, you know the the one where he's looking through the through the sort of smudgy window, um, at at one of the Chinese residents of Craggy Island, um, <laughs> and and the the smudge is just perfectly positioned to create a uh, little you know Hitler moustache, and he happens to be raising yes. his hand. Uh. So, so you know you, you can't make that anymore. You couldn't make Father Ted, and you couldn't make um, Life of Brian because you know Stan wants to be Loretta, and it's no laughing matter. Yeah, we're going to have to be uh, very careful with the comedy these days. I saw a, um, a Rob Schneider um, the other day. I was doing an interview, I think, with Del Big Tree, and he was talking about John Cleese. 
because he, he Rob Schneider is very very awake and yes. he he was he used he's getting people walking out of his out of his um shows and John Cleese mm. said to him you know look you're gonna have to put a disclaimer at the start of your show mm. you know just just to to warn people that they may be offended and things like this but this is this is kind of like where comedy is getting to now. You've got I mean, two sides. One's so afraid to offend, they're not even funny anymore. And there's one side that's hilarious, but it's going to offend half the crowd. Yeah, if, if you're offended by comedy, um, I, I don't know what to say. Why Why are you there? Why did you pay to, to, to see a comedy show if, if you're offended by people? I mean, look, the whole point of comedy is is to walk right up to that line that that line of like okay this is acceptable but just over that line is unacceptable and the comedian's job is to say watch me walk over that line okay definitely and if they go too far over that line people don't laugh and the comedian goes huh i guess that wasn't funny but the fact is when they walk over that line just just to a certain degree that's funny that's that's the heart of comedy that's what make, makes people laugh and yeah. because because comedy is a tension reliever, and you know this, this is why um, the position of the fool in the king's court was was always valued because it was only the fool who could say to the king because the king was surrounded by sycophants, right? You know, yes, king, no king, three bags, full king, and only the fool could say that was really dumb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like 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 the fool in King Lear saying, um, "You're." You're you're the fool. I'm not the fool. You know, you're you're throwing out your only daughter, Cordelia, and and these two these two other daughters of yours, um, was it Reagan and Goneril? They're they're going to shaft you, good and proper. Um, only only the fool correctly identified who was trustworthy and, and and who was not. It's always been a crucial role played by played by you know the comedian. Yeah, and that's as humans, I think we need that. We don't we can't have yes people around all the time. It's just mm. we've got to have someone who's you know, constantly there. I know, I know like personally my friendships and especially my marriage work so well because we are honest with each other. Mm, yes. Every, everybody in my close circle is like that. We all tell each other when being a dickhead, we tell yep. us when something's not quite right, we're not going to go, oh, that's fantastic. You know, it's just mm. like, no. And it, look, it's annoying when you hear it, but in the end, yep. it's what, it's what but it, it makes you a better person. Strong. It does. Yep. yep. It does. Mm. Okay. So let's. <laughs> Let's get back on track. <laughs> Nazi salutes. <laughs> so we go from Nazi salutes to government banning of religious freedom. Mm. So this is from murraycampbell.net, uh, who's a Melbourne um, journalist. And so it says, the day has come in Victoria where Christians and churches need to decide whether to obey God or the government. Such a decision should never be forced onto believers, but the current Victorian government insists that it must be so. There are times when we use hyperbole and exaggerate the significance of words or decisions, but I do not think this is one of those occasions. So the change or suppression conversion practices prohibition bill of 2020 has been tabled in the Victorian Parliament. This is the most significant threat to religious freedom in Victoria in living memory. The current government has been slowly removing religious freedoms for a number of years, but nothing quite like this. Anyone found engaging in change or suppression practices may face 10 years imprisonment. So this is from Premier Daniel Andrews, quote from him, cruel and bigoted practices that seek to change or suppress a person's sexual orientation, and this is where the kicker is, or gender identity, will soon be stamped out across Victoria thanks to new laws introduced in Parliament today. 
The change or suppression conversion practices prohibition bill 2020 will put in place new measurements to protect Victorians from a serious damage and trauma caused by conversion practices. So look, on the surface, this kind of like, oh yeah, cool. You know, we don't want people, you know, especially if you're struggling with the sexuality mm. and you've got parents, maybe uh, this is obviously, I believe this, this webpage is most likely quite a religious webpage. They're coming across that way, but no, like personally, I don't want to see anybody com- converted back to being straight. If, you know, if you're gay, you're gay, you know what I mean? Yes. But what really worries me about this is the step past that where you may have confused people out there. And I'm, I'm not saying that um, being trans is like a mental illness. I believe there are truly trans people out there. I just believe that most, in most cases, it's probably something that's, that's, um, Mental, maybe maybe a mental illness. Um, don't take offense, people, for for what I just say just then. But that's that's just my opinion. You may have a different one. What's going to happen now is that if you believe, let's say you're a parent and you believe your child may be suffering a mental illness, and you do try to maybe take them to psychotherapy first and just be like, look, let's just work through this first, and then maybe if you still believe this by the time you're 16, then let's go for it, and maybe we can look at transitioning you. That's now going to be a crime under this bill, punishable by 10 years jail. Mm. This is um, absolute and and total insanity. And, again, I mean, is it insane? Are these people incompetent or or, uh, is this malice? Um, I'm tipping in favour of the latter. All right, lots and lots to talk about. Um, Your sexual preference is, especially, especially in... Uh, in male homosexuality, um, sexual preference does appear to be uh, to, to express itself from a very young age, and for uh, to, to be, let's just say, you know, primarily biological. Um, female sexuality appears to be somewhat more mutable. Uh, fe- female sexual preference, I should say, that is preference for for you know, sex of a sexual partner. Um, Sexual preference has absolutely nothing to do with gender identity, absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. And we now see within the LGB movement, we see a lot of, of, of both um, gay males and lesbian females saying, we didn't ask for the T, the I, and all the rest of the letters and symbols to be tacked on to our movement. And these people are crashing our movement. Homosexual males in particular are really, really concerned that um, they they are being uh, lumped in with people who are um, essentially promoting the grooming of children Okay, because you know it's it, it's been an accusation leveled at, at homosexual males for for you know I was going to say decades, but actually I think it goes back over a century that that homosexuality is the same as pederasty, and it's not. It's not right. I'm all yeah. You know, I'm I'm totally okay with anyone above the age of consent having sex with anyone else who is above the age of, of consent who freely consents to that act right it's your own private business go go and you know engage in that um now on on so so the the gay males are now saying look we we don't promote drag queen story hour 
you know, we don't promote the sexualization of children. Our our thing is just, hey, if you if you are a male who prefers having sex with with males, that's your right. And the state shouldn't, you know, shouldn't try to intervene in that. And we also don't want the church intervening in it by by trying to, you know, convert gay people to to homos to, to heterosexual people, something that I actually don't think is possible. Um, now on the other hand, what lesbian females are concerned about is that a lot of girls who who um don't fit into kind of girly stereotypical behavior and would would have otherwise turned out to be lesbians are now being told oh the reason that you don't want to wear tutus and and um you know paint your nails is because you're actually a boy mm. and so the lesbian community is is concerned that that they're essentially being um attacked and their community is is being depleted because these these girls won't grow up to be female lesbians they will they will you know decide that they are actually trans men whatever that is yeah so um now i i think in in, in terms of um in terms of this idea of, of affirming identity, I, I think that Jordan Peterson has probably expressed this the, the most cogently and concisely that I've ever heard. Uh, and that is that, you know, your, your job as a, as a psychotherapist is not to affirm your client's identity. It's not. It's absolutely not. It's to encourage them to explore their identity. So the the idea that someone is going to walk into your office as as a therapist, um, and I'm using that that word fairly broadly because GPs can um, essentially be in the role of, of therapists, school counsellors, even teachers can be, um, as well as people who we think of as being therapists, such as you know counsellors and psychologists and psychotherapists. So, so if someone walks into your office and um, announces that that you know he actually thinks she's a she or she thinks he's a he. Um, your your job is not to say, oh, you are then. It's to say, uh-huh, okay, that's that's how you're seeing things. Well, what why don't why don't we sit down together and talk about what's going on in your life? And if at the end of multiple, multiple, multiple conversations about this, you are still absolutely certain that you were born in the wrong body, then I as a therapist will facilitate that. But it's not a matter of the person walks into your office and says, you know, I was born a girl, but actually um I, I relate as a boy. And the therapist says, Oh, you are then. You know, any any yeah, more yeah. than any more than if someone walked into into my office and said, you know, I um I think I'm I'm the the incarnation, you know, the reincarnation of Joan of Arc. I'm not going to say, oh, you must be then. Yeah, so yeah. that's an interesting perspective. Hmm. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> Why do you think that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's but have maybe they what? are, but it's probably maybe, not. Maybe likely, you right? are. Like, who yeah. am I to say? I don't know. But, but I'm just interested in having a conversation with that person who is convinced that they're the reincarnation of Joan of Arc. Now, now, and 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 sorry, um, you said you said that you you um. I can't remember exactly how you phrase this, but something along the lines that these people might have some some sort of um, uh, um, mental uh, or psychological issue. Now, yes. the fact is that, okay, transness is real. It is exceptionally rare yes. that it is real. And people who, who are trans and who are identified uh, at an early stage in life and are um, uh, uh, surgically and hormonally um, transitioned to... That you actually can't transition someone to the opposite sex, right? I mean, if you have two X chromosomes, then you're female. If you have an X and a Y, you're a male. But certainly, people who are surgically and 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 hormonally altered to have the outward appearance of someone of the opposite sex, um, they 
they, they may be happier in that form they quite frequently are but it is it is a fact that they have more um they have a higher prevalence of uh psychological issues than than people who uh, identify as the same gender as their biological sex now it is actually a false thing to say that someone it has a higher risk of suicide if they um, identify as someone of the opposite sex and are not assisted to transition okay so these people do have psychological problems and they're latching onto the idea of transitioning as a solution to those psychological problems but the fact is that that you know having their gender reassignment which i would just say look it's genital mutilation Let, let's call it what it is it's genital yes. mutilation yeah and um, look we 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 poo-poo that in other countries don't don't we in middle eastern countries where they yes you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not allowed to females, surgically, not allowed to yeah, yeah you're not allowed to surgically remove a female's clitoris because that's genital mutilation but what you are allowed to to chop off the perfectly healthy penis of of a boy and you're allowed to i um, you're allowed to um um, build a fake penis out of the genitals of a female, and that's not genital mutilation surgery. I'm mm. I'm sorry, but it is. Yeah, actually, yeah. I'm not sorry. It just is. <laughs> yeah, look, it is. I think you hit the nail on the head before when you know people are constantly looking for their identity. They're constantly looking yep. for the meaning of life, what it is to be a human being. Yes. Um, and if you don't have a really good sort of moral base or belief system. Mm. that you can go back to mm. you're constantly floundering around i've done this my whole life i think everybody has you're constantly looking at your identity and going okay who am i what yes. what is this person that i look at every morning in the in the mirror and the and, peak time for doing this is adolescence and in mm. fact the developmental task of the adolescent is to figure out who am i and in a sane society, that adolescent who is going through this search for identity has intelligent, mature, loving, concerned adults who will reflect back to that teenager, well, here's how, here's how we see, not only here's how we see you, but here's how we see your potential. Here's what we see you could become. That's, that's what these poor, you know, confused, um, suffering kids are lacking it's responsible adults saying, here's how we see you. Here's where we see the dangers might be for you if you continue down your current trajectory. Here's, here's the, the possible path that we see you going down, you know, if you really pull your socks up and do your best. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, life's hard. Um, life's hard all the time. It's not easy. Mm, constant, constant happiness is not something that you're ever going to have. It's not no. something you should ever have. So no. just come to terms with that. You're right. It is, it is parenting. It's it's the the current structure of of the world. It's social media. It's all all of the above. It's just pushing these these children into believing that something is wrong because they are not as happy as they perceive they should be at the yeah. time. Um, I've got yeah. a really I've got a really good um, and I'm not sure how legal it'd be with with people under the age of 18 years old, but psychedelics has just been legalized in Australia to mm -hmm. to treat. Um, to treat psychological disorders. Mm. Personally, they've done wonders for me. I'm wondering how much how much benefit 
these people would yeah. get from in, this sort of in, treatment. In, in the correct setting, and, you know, if we look at how psychedelics have historically been used by, by cultures, you know, for, for whom they're an integral part, they, they are part of a, of a guided ceremony. And that's, that's really my concern with the use of psychedelics. I, I do think that there is great power in the use of psychedelics, but set and setting and, and also a, a process by which the experience that the person has during the psychedelic trip um, is, is integrated. That's really critical in terms of outcome. That's my biggest concern about the, um, the sort of reignited enthusiasm for psychedelics, especially because, you know, I, when you look at the history of, of, of the introduction of psychedelics to the West, which was basically a CIA project, I mean, this is, you know, MKUltra and, and related mind control projects yeah. um now that doesn't mean that that psychedelic use is inherently bad i'm just very suspicious of the timing of this this sort of renewed push yes so am i map. so am i yeah. it's like who's who's behind this um there are some good people um who who are advocating for this don't get me wrong i think mind medicine australia is full of good people who who really do see the potential for for psychedelics in in helping people who are um not responding to to conventional therapies either pharmacological therapies or, or traditional psychotherapeutic approaches so there's great power in it and there's great danger in it and and I'm just really alert to to the dangers. I, I just, you know, it strikes me that that when you've got someone like like um, Yuval Noah Harari saying, well, "What are we going to do with all these useless people when the robots take over?" Well, I suppose there's there's drugs, and there's you know, and there's UBIs. So that's where I start going. Hmm, interesting. You mean you want to get the whole population spaced out on drugs and computer games and just just pay them? you know, UBI tokens uh, to, to keep them pacified. It's, um, you know, are, are, we, are we sort of sleepwalking into brave new world territory where when people feel down, they, they, just, they just get the hit of soma? Yeah, I think um, psychedelics especially, though, are nothing like the drugs that Yuval Noah Harari be talking about. If you're mm. talking more, more antidepressants, um, uppers, downers, yeah, yeah. things most, like that. Most likely, yeah. So yeah. so in terms of do, what do we do um, with adolescents, um, I definitely think some sort of initiation ceremony uh, where where, they're, where adolescents are, are tested, whether that's like an outward bound thing, let's go out in the desert and you'll have to pitch your own tent and, you know, figure out how to navigate without, you know, and, and basically live without your smartphone yeah. for a week or two. I think that's absolutely freaking awesome. Or putting their hands in a nest of fire ants and making them live it there for uh, hours on end without crying. <laughs> one of those ones. Mm, yes. Well, I don't know. I've never tried that myself. <laughs> it works. In, it works in some cultures. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> How to toughen up your males? Yes. All right. Well, our last story of the day is a story about pilots. And this is a multi-pronged story because there's something that's been going on. Uh, for the last year and a half, two years, maybe, coincidentally. Um, so the first story I've got here is from The Sun. And it's a, a veteran British Airways pilot collapses and dies shortly before he was due to Captain Packed Passenger Jet. So a British Airways pilot collapsed and died. Um, he'd been preparing to fly from Cairo in Egypt to Heathrow Airport, but had a heart attack on the in the cruise hotel. The pilot managed to get from his room to the foyer where colleagues performed CPR on him. So this is, uh, oh, sorry, it goes on here. It says a source 
told the son is rocked BA. It doesn't bear imagining if he had suffered a heart attack at 30,000 feet. Mm, mm-hmm. With several hundred um, human souls. Uh, under- Definitely. Definitely. Under- yeah. And that, that's after last week, a um, Airbus A320 was forced to return to Adelaide mm. after the pilot suffered a heart attack. Mm. Um, there was also an incident where a plane departed um, uh, an airport in Spain. I, I, I'm not sure that it was Madrid, but anyway, somewhere in Spain, and uh, flew out over the Atlantic and then the pilot had a massive heart attack and died and had to be dragged out of the, the cockpit. And if I remember this story, because there have been so many of them, uh, there was a, a pilot of another airline on board who then had to um, turn the plane around and, and fly it back to Madrid. Uh, so yeah, these, these incidents are happening with increasing frequency. Uh, there's a guy in an email group that I'm in who is a retired pilot himself. And there's, um, there is an, uh, he he has a way of, of accessing, um, what, what it, the terminology that's used is squawks. So these are these are basically like distress signals that that pilots give when something's happening on board the plane. And so the frequency of squawks has dramatically increased. So these are, you know, these are incidents that that um seriously threaten the uh, the airworthiness of the plane or the, the the health of the pilot or uh, so on and so forth. Yeah, and this has all been happening since a certain medical procedure was mandated on many pilots around mm. the world. Mm. And I, I guess pilots would be more at risk as well because, I mean, I know deep vein thrombosis has been something that's plagued people just flying on planes for a while. Indeed. So, I mean, you can get the added risk of that with the mm. medical procedure you were talking about before mm. it's just a recipe for disaster and how long is it going to be before a jetliner comes down in a residential area in you know brisbane melbourne oh, yeah. sydney absolutely you've got you've got um, anywhere up to you know several hundred passengers on board and then as you say the the number of lives that would be lost if a plane uh plowed into some you know heavily uh, populated residential area um yeah and and look i mean pilots undergo really like they they have to have uh, I, I believe it's six monthly physicals, and there's all sorts of conditions that that basically rule them out from being pilots. Um, their their health is very carefully monitored because yeah, there's a there's a lot at stake when someone takes the controls of of a passenger airliner, and uh, and of course you know I know you you have this story queued up as well. So when we we now see a loosening of standards for cardiac health of pilots, yeah, we we do. So in the FAA, FAA, I'm not sure if it's the same in in Australia at the moment, but so in October the FFA widened the acceptable parameters it uses when screening pilots for specific specific heart condition. The agency said in a statement to the Associated Press, so this is from February, I think, or March or January. Um, so, however, the FAA explained this change was made in response to new scientific evidence about the condition from its cardiology consultants, not adverse reactions to the COVID-19 vaccines. Mm, so but it, they would say that, wouldn't they? Of course they would. Of course they would. <laughs> but it doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, no, no. And and look, I mean, that that could be the case, but I guess I guess it's a sign of the times, isn't it, that we, we read a statement like that and we go, yeah, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? 
um, there's been such a, a complete loss of public trust in all of these institutions. And, you know, the FAA has had these concerns about pilot health and and pilot deaths and pilots passing out behind the controls of the plane and all the rest of it. This has been brought to their attention and they haven't carried out any investigations. I mean, um, Bob Snow, I, I believe, was the first incident where he had a heart attack shortly after touching down and uh, the FAA has not even contacted him to find out the details of, of, of what happened up after he'd had yeah. the jibby jabby. It's okay. crazy because three or four years ago, that would have been the first thing they did. Yeah. My, my, my father was a flight engineer for, for Qantas. He, he spent his whole life um, working for the airlines. And uh, there, you know, when, when there was even a minor incident, CASA would be straight onto it. CASA would be investigating. Um, yeah. And, you know, the the airline industry is really a model, has been historically a model for, um, for how you do safety in affairs that affect the public because they would thoroughly investigate every single crash, whether it was a single-engine Cessna ploughing down in, in a farmer's field or some sort of incident that, that affected a, a commercial um, airliner. The CASA would be right onto it. Mm. And they're doing nothing, absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's it's just insanity. Um, I'm not sure about you, but I'm I get I'm gonna get very nervous next time I fly on a plane. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I, you know, be, before you hit the record button, I told you that my my husband has um has gone down to Sydney to uh, uh well anyway has gone down to Sydney, and rather than fly a plane, um he took to uh, two two train two trains. And a coach, like we're talking um, close to 24-hour journey because he didn't want to fly in a plane yep. for an hour and a half because of these concerns, you know. Yeah. Well, I guess when you choose, you know, 24-hour journey over a fiery plane death, then it's probably a pretty easy choice, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. It could be the best 24-hour investment of time you've ever made. Yes. So all, all this sort of comes as... Um, you see health expert, health experts, sorry, quotes, um, and ministers around the world finally sort of admitting there is a bit of a problem uh, with the experimental jabs. Mm. Um, one of those being Carl Latterback or Latterback, yes, um, a completely insane person. For anyone who follows um, Eugippius, or the German pronunciation would be Eugippius on on Substack. He's a German academic who writes just fabulous pieces and he's got a whole uh library of articles on the insanity of cal of carl lauterbach um, yes yeah. i've got one of his stories here um for me carl lauterbach looks like one of the torturers from the movie hostel from the early 2000s i haven't seen that. it but... yeah maybe i'll try to find a picture to see how close he resembles him but he's certainly doing similar stuff to the population um, but he's just sort of come out recently and he said that you know, the vaccines are actually, you know, causing some effects of one in 10,000 or... One in 10,000, my aunt, Fanny. Yeah, yeah. Maybe an order of magnitude off at least. Yeah. But at least he started saying it. I think uh, they know that, the, you know, eventually they're going to have to sort of face some sort of retribution for their crimes. But he says uh, vaccine injuries are dismaying. um, complaints of exorbitant pharmaceutical profits, calls for vaccine manufacturers to fund an institute for those harmed. Mm -hmm. In the end, though, like as much as I hate the pharma industries, it's government's job in in these times to to 
really, you know, tell the populace what's going on. And if they didn't do their research in the first place and didn't read the studies, which clearly showed that these things harm people, I think it was, what, 1,200 deaths in their study in the first six months, wasn't it? Um, um, reported to Pfizer alone. Yeah, that's yeah. Correct. So that, yeah. that's phenomenal. And if it Plus was already... Plus a, a one in 800 risk of serious adverse events, um, and that was just from the, the, the clinical trial data submitted to the FDA by J&J, Moderna and Pfizer to, hmm. to gain um, emergency use authorization. One in 800 risk of serious adverse events. That, yep. is, that is just... I mean, again, you can't say it's crazy. Uh, that's that's malice. That certainly is. Like, do your research. You're the health minister. Do yeah. your bloody research before you just go. Oh, yeah, sweet. I'm just going to push that on everybody. Make them make them take it. Germany and Austria are some of the worst with the mm. their sort of propaganda against the um, against the populace as well. Probably not closely okay. followed by Australia, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but all these all these people now coming out and saying this is just a cover because they know they're going to get in trouble. Mm. You know, Pfizer is a pharmaceutical company. They, we all know what they are. Mm. We know they're not trustworthy. In, we know exactly, exactly. They're a corporation that makes a profit out of selling you, you know, pharmaceuticals. So, you know, of course they're going to lie, cheat, uh, commit fraud to to maximize their profits. You, you know, sadly, we expect that of corporations. What we don't expect is for government to condone and and uh, facilitate their their you know illegal immoral behavior. Yeah, and all this has culminated now. Um, probably, you know, we do get a bit of a positive out of this. I'm going to reference your story here about uh, the who thinks there's a vaccine crisis. So can you just like briefly summarise what's going on with the the who at the moment being so worried about the people losing faith in vaccines for some reason? Yes, yes. So the World Health Organisation puts out these these um, uh, what would you call them like briefing documents for. Uh, public health spokespeople let's just say and i've i've covered a couple of these documents over the years so this one they put out just you know late last year and so you know it's basically a, a manual for uh, health spokespeople in how to handle what they call a vaccine crisis now you know a vaccine crisis isn't oh dear a vaccine that we released on the public is is uh, causing adverse events and 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 so we need to figure out how to help all the people injured by that oh hell no <laughs> that's not what they see as a vaccine crisis a vaccine crisis is where people start saying i don't know about these vaccines i don't really trust them so the the who's um mission with this document it is to improve vaccine safety it's it's to basically corral the public back into believing that all vaccines are safe and effective no matter what don't believe your lion eyes so it's uh it's quite extraordinary and um uh, so, so the, the whole document is essentially guidance for uh, how, how to snow the public. And essentially, they, they see public health officials as being as having to be in a constant state of readiness for a vaccine crisis to erupt. So they're, 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 they've always got to be on the lookout. And what does on the lookout mean? Well, they need to be monitoring public opinion. And that's about as creepy as it sounds. So, you know, some of the advice in here is, is, is to watch what's happening on social media. Okay. So in other words, someone in government is going to be paid to read your Facebook posts. Have a look at what you're sharing on Twitter. Right, that, that's my taxpayers' dollars hard at yeah. work. Thank you very much. Um, so, so they always have to be uh, on the lookout for for you know where public opinion is is leading. And then, of course, if a vaccine crisis erupts, for for instance, um, 
some story gets out in, in either the, the lamestream media or on social media that someone's been injured or there's some, you know, uh, public sentiment that starts to develop against a, a vaccine, well, immediately the public health authorities need to go into full-blown crisis management mode. Again, it's not about investigating, did this event, did this adverse event actually have anything to do with the vaccine? If you read the text of this document, you, you would come away um, under the impression that adverse events to vaccines basically never happen, mm. okay? So essentially what they're saying is, look, you as a public health official, you will never have to deal with a person actually having been injured by a vaccine. You'll only ever have to deal with people falsely believing that they have and then other people losing faith, losing trust in vaccines because they falsely believe that the person over there was injured by one. It's... um. It's it's you really have to read these documents to to be able to take it in. It, it, it's quite staggering. But but in any case, I mean, I I did it in the article that I wrote. I said, look, there is something positive that comes out of this. Like these people are not all powerful. They actually invest a lot of time and money and effort in trying to persuade people that vaccines are that all vaccines are safe and effective all the time for everyone. Um, and that means that they actually care what you think. And yep. that they're that they're not they either don't want to or they can't actually just use brute force to compel people to take all their damn vaccines, right? Um, so so that's reassuring. It means that we 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 can just say no. We can just yep. you know. It, so so if you decide I I don't think it's a good idea for my newborn baby to receive the hepatitis B va va vaccine because hepatitis B is a disease that spread uh, through the exchange of bodily fluids and I I don't plan on sharing needles with my baby nor on sending them to a prostitute you know for a while anyway. So <laughs> if you decide that that such a vaccine is is not a good idea for your baby, you can just say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, and and it's it's it is um. Pretty telling, isn't it? To put out something like this, they'd like to say that oh, maybe three percent of the population is vaccine hesitant, but mm -hmm. a document like this tells you that it's it's probably close to about twenty to thirty percent. Oh, it's a, it's a lot higher than they want to let on, and yeah. there are plenty of people who have sort of they've gone along with a vaccine schedule for their kids, for them, for less so for themselves. They've gone along with it for various reasons. They've gone along with it for convenience. They've gone along with it because otherwise they'll lose government benefits or won't be able to put their kid in, in preschool or, or, or kindy or whatever. Um, but all of this relentless pushing and shoving and threatening and bribing is, is, is getting a lot of people to the point where they're just saying, yeah, I don't trust you. I don't, I don't trust your vaccines. Um, I have a lot of people commenting on my Substack who, who it's variations on a theme of I never used to question vaccines and now I would never take a vaccine again in my life yeah. right okay so that's that's what these people got by by being so damn pushy and by gaslighting the public yeah yep um I think we probably have the same opinions on on the whole vaccine industry um as a whole, I mean, I personally, before the COVID crisis, I kind of thought maybe there's some application of vaccines, which may be good in third world countries, possibly, but I'm of the opinion now that they're all, they're all no good and yeah. nobody should be taking them. Fix, fix the plumbing, fix the, uh, the water supply, remove the garbage, deal with the malnutrition and the overcrowding. Mm. That's that's where the real gains in, uh, in in reducing infectious disease incidents and most particularly mortality. That's where they come. That's where they came in the West. 
you know, the original public health wasn't vaccines. The original public health was was um, sanitary engineering was the yep. name of it. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, people shouldn't be drinking water out of a river where people upstream have pooped. Okay. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> the, yep. Dissol- dissolving Illusions. I've probably mentioned yes. it on here before, but that's a brilliant book all about it is, it how is brilliant yeah, the sanitary conditions changing over time really was the reason why infectious disease stopped happening. And the there's a brilliant, person. brilliant paper uh, by, uh, by um, sorry, I'm, I'm blanking, um, a brilliant paper called the questionable con- uh, McKinley and McKinley, John and Sonia McKinley, the questionable contribution of medical measures to the decline of mortality in the twentieth century. It's it's quite a mouthful. I've linked to it in a number of my substacks. You you can you can look it up and and download it for free. Um, it's a very very careful analysis of how small of a role medical measures played in the decline of mortality. Um, most of that decline in mortality, of course, was from a decline in mortality from, from infectious diseases in the US specifically. And the figure that they come up with is 3.5% of the total decline in mortality is attributable to all medical measures combined. That includes vaccines, but also antibiotics. And in the case of diphtheria, the the diphtheria um, uh, toxoid, 3.5%. Vaccines didn't save us. It's crazy. There's no wonder they have to put out this propaganda to tell you that vaccines are good and safe and effective and Mm. Yep. And adverse reactions are very rare. I'm surprised that whole book is not just three lines, to be honest. If you have a problem, yeah. just so they're safe and effective. And the while vac- adverse reactions do happen, they're very, very rare. Very, very rare. Yeah. Yes. So yes. that's that's um, just crazy. As a, as a former um, federal health minister said, your child is more likely to be hit on the head by a meteorite falling from outer space than to be damaged, damaged by a vaccine. That was uh, Michael... Uh, Wool, uh, Woolhouse, Waldridge, my uh, Waldridge, <laughs> under the Howard government, if my memory serves me correctly. Hey, so, well, there must be, there under, must be a shitload of meteorites. There's a lot of meteorites. Sky. There's <laughs> a hell of a lot of meteorites falling on people's heads at this point in time. Yep. Yep. I've got, I've got some advice for um the vaccine manufacturers. Um, just coming from I own my own business, and uh, I think to get people to buy your product, you just have to create something that works. <laughs> and and doesn't kill people, and then the, and then people promote it. So you don't. You're, make, it. you're making it so hard, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So r- rather than rather than trying to convince people that my shit food is good, mm. I just I just try to make good food, and then people talk about it, and they come to my cafe. So no, it's, it's very difficult to understand. It's a really unusual concept, but um. Yeah, I um, I'm scratching my head over that one. I uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's uh, is that really going to work though as a business model? Ma- making a good mm. product that people voluntarily want to buy and then tell their friends about. When has that ever worked, Mitch? Yeah, I know. It's probably it's a, it's it's crazy talk, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, with that, I think we should probably finish up. Uh, we once again have gone over time, but it's been a good, it's been a great chat, to be honest. Um, yep. Which is why we have a habit um, of going over time, don't we? We've got to rein it in. <laughs> oh, we just have it. We just have a good yarn, you know. <laughs> we do. We do. All right. Well, um, we'll call it a day then. Hey. We will. Before we go, though, so please um, donate to Stand Up Australia if you can. Um, if you can't do that, and I'm, when I'm talking donate, I'm not. I'm not talking a hundred dollars, thousand dollars, or if you want to do that, that's fantastic. But 
Um, even a dollar would be great, uh, whatever you can afford, or just come to one of our webinars. Uh, there is a donation fee there. Um, just helps to keep us going. We're all volunteers. None of us get paid. Um, we just, yeah, we just really want to start changing Australia for the better. So please help us. Uh, our next webinar, um, I'll put in the links, but we have our roundtable discussion with our community leaders around Australia. There's about 12 to 16 of us at this point in time. So sign up for that. That should be really interesting. And um, yeah, apart from that, we'll keep you up updated on everything going on. But yeah, please just donate. And if you can't do that, just share or donate and share this podcast with your friends and family who may be sitting on the fence. So thanks again, Robin. Uh, we'll chat to you again in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm not sure who the guest will be that time, but you and someone else might be you and me again. We'll see. We'll see who we'll, it is we'll, then. we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Awesome. All right. We'll, we'll see you later and have a good week. See you next time.